Hey, we're going to get right in this morning to um, our third part in the series titled Dress Code. And if you were with us last week, we didn't even get through the whole message. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm glad that we didn't because what I had planned to do with this series, it was going to be three parts. And the last week I was going to pair humility and meekness together. And I'm so glad that, that the time worked out where I didn't have time to do that because this week as I dug in more to meekness, I, I mean, there were like just layers of it that came out for me that blessed me that we wouldn't have gotten to if we just lumped it in with humility last week. And so this is going to bless you. I know it will. And um, we're going to start actually by talking about something in Ephesians 6. So if you have your physical Bibles, you can turn over to Ephesians 6 this morning. And we're going to talk about God's dress code for his people. And we've been talking through this series about how we're ambassadors. Um, we're going to see in Colossians 3 this morning that we are the elect of God, chosen by Him and appointed by Him in this time, in this place, in this hour, for a reason. And that reason, we know, is, is our mission. It's to go and share the light, share the gospel, share the truth with the world. Well, part of the way we do that is by being appropriately dressed, appropriately prepared, coming with what we need to represent God the right way. We dug into that more the first week, and so I'm not going to say a lot about it, but we have to recognize we're God's representatives on earth today. And as such, well, we represent Him. And you know, the way we present, it has a lot to say about the way we represent the way we represent says a lot about the way we present. And so as we present ourselves to the world, we ought to do it in such a way where we're representing God accurately. When I show up in life, I ought to show up with, with a, a likeness of Christ in me because that's who I'm representing to the world. It's not just me or my family. It's not even just my church, but it is Christ, my Lord and Savior, who I come and represent. And so I, I wrote this down as we start this morning. We put it on because it serves a purpose. And you can put that in your notes if you want to. We put it on because it serves a purpose. And we're going to talk this morning about some one more piece of the things that we put on as part of God's dress code. Before we talk about Colossians 3, this verse was coming to my mind as I was studying Ephesians 6 verse 11. This is another put on kind of, of scripture. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. All right, and we've probably studied this out before. You probably know a thing or two about the armor. Maybe if you grew up in church, you put on the plastic armor set that they had in the kids' department where there was the plastic breastplate of righteousness and the plastic helmet of salvation and the sandals, the shards of peace, right? The waist belt of truth. Maybe you had the little, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word. Praise the Lord. We've all seen it. We probably have heard about it before. There is an armor that we're to put on. And I want to bring this out today because I want you to know that we put on different things for different purposes. We put on different things for different purposes. What we've been talking about are like the ambassador robes. We could almost call it like the, the diplomatic uniform. That used to be a thing. I don't think it is as much anymore. But like at the, at the UN where all these nations come together, maybe you've seen a picture before. These countries show up wearing different things. Some of them have like their, their you know, flowing like robe-like garments. Other people come in suits. I mean, there's a difference in, in dress because they're all representing different peoples and different nations. And so we put on different things in our Christian life to serve a different purpose. We said this, we put it on because it serves a purpose. Well, we've talked about the armor of God before. You've probably heard about the armor of God before, and that serves a purpose. And we're told in Ephesians 6.11 what that purpose is. And it, it says it right there, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so we put on the armor of God for a purpose, which is to stand against the enemy. We put on the armor, we could say it this way, to endure the fight. 
Amen? And it's a good thing. I'm glad that we have the armor of God. I'm glad that it's been provided for us by Christ so that we're able to stand, that we're unmoved by his lies or his tactics. You know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here this morning, but I'll tell you, if you've been moved around a lot by the enemy lately, put on the armor. Get armored. Get the righteousness on. Get your salvation on. Get your peace on. Get your truth on. Get your faith on. Get your word on. Because that's what's going to allow you to win in combat against the enemy. But you know, I was thinking about soldiers and people who are in combat. And you know, they, they wear more than just armor. Did you know that? Soldiers don't just wear armor. When they go into a fight, they might, they might have plates on. They might have a helmet on. They've probably got combat boots on. But that's not all that they're wearing. They wear a uniform. They wear things that identify them. First of all, as a, a member of the United States military. Second of all, uh, as a person who is specific in a role and a rank serving in that military. You know, they wear more than just the armor. They wear the representation as well. They wear the armor to be protected and to do the job and to stand against the enemy. But they wear the, the representation I think for a different purpose. I think the representation, it identifies them and who they're with. It, it, is, it is something that allows um, influence in some situations with civilian populations. And look, I've never been at war, and so I don't know personally what this is like. But I know that at times when interacting with a, a civilian country, like I, I like watching World War II movies. And in some of those movies, like the Americans will show up into like a, a village in the Netherlands. And everybody's cheering and they're excited because they recognize these people are on the good side. This is the good team. We want to help these people. We want to ally with them. Well, when we wear the, the representation, the diplomatic uniform of heaven, we're going to find that there are allies or, or people who are looking for life, who are looking for liberation, who are looking for hope, who are looking for peace. They're going to come and hear what we have to say. They're, they're going to come and be receptive to us rather than pushing us away because we're wearing a uniform from heaven. We're wearing a uniform that brings, well, we've already talked about, what, compassion, and we've talked about kindness, we've talked about humility, um, today we're going to talk about meekness, and then next week we're going to talk about long-suffering, and these are the representation parts of our uniform. These are the things that identify us as soldiers of heaven, not soldiers of hell, and aren't you glad you're not a soldier of hell, and I don't want people to think that I am. You know, I mean, what a, what a tragedy that would be for someone to think that a Christian is a representative of hell. I mean, that's going to turn you off to the message of the gospel real quick. That's going to lead you away from life in a hurry, isn't it? And so we want to represent accurately our King, our Lord, and our home, which is heaven. And so Colossians 3, verse 12, I want us to go and read this this morning. I hope you're reading it with this understanding that we put these things on to serve a purpose. Now, I'm not just preaching about, oh, this is what a person should be like because that's nice and that's just, you know, that's what we should do. It, it's, and I'm also not saying that I just think we ought to just change things on the outside. Like, I'm, I'm not up here trying to make behavioral corrections to anybody. I'm just telling you that the, the reason it's important that we put these things on on a daily basis is because they serve a purpose. And not just for us, it's not just, oh, I want people to like me and so I need to be more like this. It's you're representing Jesus on earth and the way you represent him matters. Amen? The way you come prepared 
to be his ambassador matters. And so let's read Colossians 3.12. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. We identified that as compassion in our first week. Kindness, humility. We talked about that a lot last week. Meekness, which is what we're talking about today. Meekness, and, and I'll give, well, I'll get to it in a minute. And then long-suffering is the last one. You know, here's something else about these clothes. They all go together. Just like how a uniform, it all fits together. All the pieces look right together. They seem right together. God's uniform, God's dress code, it all goes together. And as we've gone through this, I hope you've seen that. I hope that's touched you, how compassion, it, it flows together with kindness. We're going to see today how humility, it flows together with meekness. And, and patience is an element of all of these things. I mean, you know, it takes an element of, and we'll get to that more next week, but it takes patience to be kind. It takes patience to be compassionate. It takes patience to be meek, which we're going to see how that works out today. Let's, um, let's talk this morning about meekness. I'll give you a simple definition for meekness here in a minute. I, I want to identify this though. Meekness is, is defined also as gentleness. These are two words that really, when you take the, the original language, they go interchangeably together, meekness and gentleness. We might talk a little bit about some distinctions in a minute of those. But meekness and gentleness are very similar. And I bring that out because I think sometimes we hear meekness, and that's not a word I use in everyday language. You know that? I, I don't know the last time I called somebody meek. Maybe you use that a lot. I don't. I don't use meek. But I use the word gentle quite often. And so for me, as I, I think about what gentle means, that helps me understand meekness to realize that these are really pretty interchangeable words, meekness and gentleness. Here's a definition for meekness. Gentle strength. Exhibiting power with reserve. Exhibiting power with reserve. This is what meekness is. Really, that's what gentleness is. It's exhibiting power. It's, it's having power, but having a control, having a reserve of that power, not using the full amount of power, even though I'm capable to. You know, we could talk about this um, in action. One of the ways we might see this in action really is, is kindness. Meekness working out in actions is like kindness. It's, I, you know, I have the power to be mean. I, I could hurt you. I could be mean to you, but I'm not going to do that because I have this strength under control. I want to do what's kind for you. I want to do what's right for you. And there's other elements tied to that too. But, but meekness is controlling the strength and not doing what would be bad to do. It's, it's using strength with reserve for a purpose. You know, we could talk about this in, in a heart or in an attitude kind of way as well, because I think sometimes we can get off with inside things that we know how to control on the outside. You know, I have the willpower to just think whatever I want. I have the willpower to have whatever kind of attitude I want to have. Don't you know that's true? I, I, can, I can be how I want to be. But I recognize that even though I have that strength to do what I want to do and be the way I'm going to be and think how I want to think, I recognize that it's not good for me to think some ways, to have some attitudes, to talk some ways to people. And so though I have the ability to do it, I have the meekness to put that under reservation and control and to do what's good rather than to do what's harmful. Do you see that this morning? Gentleness, strength under control. Here's something, and, and maybe you've heard this said before. I just, I can't get away from it. Anytime I talk about meekness, I have to say this. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. In fact, I would say meekness is the opposite of weakness. In order to be meek, you have to have strength. If you don't have strength, you're not meek, you're just weak. The absence of strength is weakness. 
The control of strength is meekness. Do you see that this morning? Or gentleness. And this is how these words really work well together. Gentleness is, is another way we could see um, meekness. It's another descriptor for it. So let's look at Isaiah 41, verse 10. Because I think we have to start with strength. If, if we don't have strength, we can't have meekness. You know, because we just said a minute ago, the absence of strength is weakness. But the control or reservation of strength, that's meekness. And so let's look at strength this morning. And I'll show you, we're, we're going to see right off the bat that this ties into humility. Because one of the things we said about humility last week is it's more of God, less of me. Right? That's what I need. More of you, less of me, God. It's, it's not depending on myself. It's recognizing my inability. It's, it's this almost deflating, less bigness of my own self-dependence and self-reliance. That's what humility is. Not relying on myself. But humility, godly humility, is shifting my dependence from me to God. Or from someone else to God. You know, I, I can be prideful in other people, but I want to be humble that I or my friends or my parents or my family, they don't have everything I need, but God does. And so godly humility is really depending on him, recognizing that I don't have it myself. And so this ties in with strength because right here in Isaiah 41.10, we see it says, Fear not, God's talking, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will uphold you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so what we see is that God is our strengthener. Amen. That's a, that's a simple truth to take away from this. God is the one who gives us strength. And I'm, I've preached about the strength we receive from God before, but I'll tell you, it's, it's not like, maybe sometimes it is. Most of the time for me, I have not just received like this Hulk strength in a moment where I'm like trying to lift something and I'm, I don't think that's what this is referring to. And I'll tell you why, because he says, fear not for I am with you. See, this is where it starts. It's, it's, I don't believe that God's strengthening us is often going to be him just supercharging us with power where now I can do it all on my own. Because you know what that would do to me? It would give me a lot of pride. And it would make me less reliant on him. It's not like he's just going to deposit all the strength I need in a moment. I believe it's he's present with me. And so I can rely on him for his support, for his help, for his strength. I mean, don't we see that here? Be not dismayed. I'm your God. I'm with you. I will strengthen you. I'll help you. I will uphold you. You notice over and over it says, I will, I will, I will. So it's not, hey, you're, I'm going to give you this so you can just do it all by yourself. I don't think that's what God's strength is for us. Do you believe that? I believe his strength is, is a really a presence with us. I would almost, I would say it's a partnership with us. You know why it's the great co-mission? Because we are co-laborers. We need him involved. I can't complete it on my own. I, I can't be the ambassador I'm supposed to be on my own. The humility recognizes that. And so as I rely on him, as I partner with him, as I invite him in and say, God, I, I need your strength in my life today. He's going to be present. He says, fear not, I am with you. That's a promise for you. If you're into the promises, if you like the promises of God, I like the promises of God. Here's a good one. I am with you. So don't be afraid. You know, when he's with you, you're not going to be afraid because you've got someone stronger than everybody else with you. And I, I think I preached this a couple weeks ago. When I show up and I've got a couple big guys, big friends with me, I'm not really scared of, of anybody else showing up. You know, hey, I've, I've, got, I've got the friends. I've got friends who have the strength that I don't have, but I'm not afraid because I've got, I'm with them. I'm with them. That's the attitude we need to have about God's strength in our life. I'm with him. He's with me. So I'm not afraid. He is the one who's strengthening me, helping me, and upholding me with his righteous 
right hand. And so I believe this. Here's how I wrote it down. This is kind of, I think it's a cute way to say it. God does not strengthen you so you'll leave him to do it yourself. God does not strengthen you so you can go DIY. It's, it's not like God's strength isn't like a YouTube video that you can watch one time and then figure it out on your own. God's strength is calling on him to be with you all the way through it. Amen? I don't, I don't want to have this misconception like I'm just going to ask one time, get what I need, and then go off on my own. I want him with me all the time. That's where we're going to experience the strength of God. How does this tie in? It's because we're talking about meekness, which is strength under control. And so true meekness, true gentleness first has to have the humility to receive strength from God. I draw my strength from the one I'm dependent on. And so humility being living independence on God means that I have to be humble before I can be meek. I have to be humble before I can be meek because I need strength in my life before I can have strength to put under reserve. And so by receiving God, having Him present with me, I'm also receiving strength that I, I would need. And, and then that strength is that which it comes under reserve, which is used for a good purpose. And so um, a couple things about this. I wanted to give an example. And I thought about just like having the biggest guy in here and then the tiniest baby in the church come up on stage, but I'm not going to do that this morning. Just picture it for yourself, okay? We got some big guys around here. We got some strong guys around here. Imagine one of them and then like little Ellie Heisterkamp in their hands, Okay. You know what that is? That's a display of gentleness. Because that big, strong, I mean, that big, strong man has strength to, like, do whatever to the baby. I mean, Ellie isn't going to stand up and, like, fight for herself or, or get herself down if she wants to be put down, right? I mean, the guy's got the strength. But <laughs> maybe she could. I don't know. <laughs> but, but you see, this element of... of the strength of this guy in our metaphor is under control. He's not doing things he shouldn't do because he knows it could be harmful to the baby. He's using strength, reserving strength to benefit the baby. And so there's a physical example of gentleness. And you know, I, I was thinking too, it's kind of a different avenue, but I was thinking about my puppy, Titus. He likes to play and he likes to play rough where he like bites a little bit, you know, gently, sort of, if there's a gentle bite. And so we'll be playing and, and he'll start getting rough and I have to say, Titus, I say, be sweet. And I, sh I could say, be gentle, because it's really the same thing. It's like, hey, I know you've got the teeth and I know you like to bite, don't bite me, <laughs> okay? Use some control of your inner, you know, canine feelings, channel the inner wolf so you don't hurt me. Okay, that's strength under control, that's gentleness. And we may talk about gentleness, but I think sometimes we don't translate this external gentleness to an internal thing. And this is where we go deep this morning. This is where I started getting convicted this morning because, or, or corrected maybe is a better, nicer way to say that this morning. Because I think sometimes we recognize how inappropriate it would be to not use gentleness on the outside, but I think sometimes we neglect how important it is to use internal gentleness. To be gentle in the way we talk to people, to be gentle in the way we interact with people, to be gentle in the way we share truth with people. You know, we may know that it's wrong to punch somebody in the face, but do we know that it's wrong to use harsh words to speak evil towards people? 
Because just as much as I control what my external man does, I need to be controlling what my soul does too. Don't you know, I, gotta, I need to control what my mouth is going to do because my mouth really can do more harm than my hands can. You know, if you, if you do a study of sin in the Bible, most sins do not have to do with physical actions, but they have to do with like emotions and communication and interaction. It's about words. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, isn't it? And so we have to be cautious of controlling not only our outer man and our body, but our soul and our mouth too. And so meekness is, is not, a, a, it's not a passive result, it's an intentional response. Okay, this is what I want to get to this morning, in controlling strength. Because we have strength, I believe, and maybe you've, you know what we do. We have a measure of strength on our own, but I believe if we're living in humility, we're going to put that aside and depend on God's strength for us, Okay. So we have strength. Let's say we've got this, this strength thing figured out. Well, now I have to understand how to appropriately control that strength so that I can be beneficial to others, so that I can help other people, that I can be gentle with people and not hurt people. This means it's something that we have to put on. Amen. Meekness doesn't always come naturally because I tell you my, my response, if I've got some strength, I want to use it. If I've got a big engine, I want to floor it. If I've got muscles, I want to flex them. If I've got some, I want to use the power I've got. Any, am I the only one in here? I like using the power I've got. But meekness is power under control. It's strength under control. And so I would say this, meekness doesn't come naturally. It's something we put on. And that lines up with what we read in Colossians 3.12. We have to put on meekness. In order to appropriately control meekness, we have to have awareness. I have to be aware of how much strength is going to harm someone in order to know how much strength I need to give. You know, going back to the example I made earlier about, about um, like engines... You know, if you get into a sticky situation, you got to know how much gas to give it. Because if you give it too little, you're just going to get stuck. But if you give it too much, you're just going to spin. Anybody drive on the ice a few weeks back? You know, driving on ice is hazardous for people who don't know how to drive on ice because they don't know how much gas to give. They don't know when to turn. They don't know how to maybe brake. I mean, and I'm not coming down on anybody who has a hard time driving in the snow or ice, okay? But what I'm saying is it takes an awareness, of what is appropriate, of, of what is going to be helpful in order to do that the right way. In the same way, you know, interacting with people can be slippery sometimes, can't it? It can be difficult sometimes. It, it doesn't take a whole lot for a conversation. Have you ever had a conversation like that? You think things are going good and then all of a sudden you're like in a ditch and it's like, what, how did we get here in two minutes? We were just having such a good time and now they're mad or I'm upset or somebody's crying like this got bad fast. Well, it's like that driving. I have to temper. I have to be careful about it. I have to use control on the power that's in my mouth. And when I do that appropriately, I'm going to see good results. This is what God wants for us, is for us to use awareness and pair that with control so that what we end up with is gentleness. You know, I have to do that in myself. I was talking about earlier how I, can, I have the power to be whatever kind of way I want to be. I can have a bad attitude. I used to have a really bad problem with having bad attitudes. This is something I had to learn. So I'm talking out of personal experience today. I had to learn to control my bad attitude. Yes, it's a decision that I get to make, but I started recognizing making the wrong decision causes some wrong results. And so I'm going to use some control over my inner decision to choose what kind of attitude I'm going to have. I have to have a, a level of meekness Strength with reserve, strength with control over my own willpower. 
But talking externally and towards other people, I think we also need to exhibit meekness, gentleness, this strength with control in situations where, where here's a couple examples I thought of, like callous versus very tender individuals. You know, people need different things. You know that? People need different things. The callous person, the, the person that's, that's hard and, and rough and, you know, I just got to hear it like it is. Have you ever met someone like that? I don't know why I did that voice when I said that. But, but there's that kind of person that's maybe just, I'm a little tougher. But then there's the super, like, tender-hearted person who just gets upset about anything, you know? And they're, they're different, right? I have to use a, a different level of force with one than with the other. Do you see that today? One is, is if I just give them the soft kind of gentle, tender word, that isn't going to get through. They're not even going to hear it. They're going to brush it off and continue going about their business like nothing happened. But then the other person, like, if I use the, the callous word for the tender-hearted individual, they're going to be crushed. And they probably won't ever come back because it hurts so bad. You know? I mean, if, if, I've got, if I've got a wound, if I've got a wound and I have a really low pain tolerance, I need somebody to be gentle with me. But if I'm like breaking bones and continuing to play basketball while it happens, I just need somebody to put that thing back in line so I can get back out there and keep on playing. You know what I mean? Like there's a different necessity, so it requires a different level of force. Gentleness, gentleness is assessing the proper level of power, the proper level of force for a situation and then giving that. So you got to have the strength, you got to have maybe the truth that would be needed to aid a situation, but then you have to have the temperance to only give what's needed so that you aren't going to hurt or go beyond what would be helpful. Here's another one for you. I thought about um, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 2. We can put that one up on the screen and read it together. This is another situation that requires awareness in giving what is good. Paul writes to the church, he says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. Other translations say meat. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able. Now he's not talking about actual milk and, and solid food. He's talking about the Word of God. What he's referencing is that there are some truths from the Word of God, some things you need to know from the Word that are like easier to receive. There's something that a young immature of a baby in Christ and he actually corrects in well the writer of Hebrews corrects the church because he says you should have been teachers by now but you're still having to drink the milk the soft stuff the, the stuff that's for immature babies and you're supposed to be teaching people and so there's this this need of maturity requires a different uh, food source you know we can talk about babies again babies need to eat different than adults right and so we have to be aware of what's needed in a situation so that we give what's appropriate for that situation. The truth is that for most people, this need for meekness and gentleness, and I said this a minute ago, it's not just in physical things, but the need for gentleness really comes in communication, words, and behaviors, and in the heart. All right, it's not so much about what I'm doing with my hands, it's about things that are coming out from the inside of me. You know, I referenced Proverbs 18, 21 earlier, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Another one that's good is Luke 6, 45. It says, for the mouth speaks, uh, I'm sorry, the mouth speaks out of the heart's abundance. So that means what's going on in my mouth is, is really a reflection of what's going on in my heart and life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so I, I would say this, most of the gentleness we need, especially today where, where people, I would say people are less, 
physical today than we used to be. You know, we're not a society where we're all out necessarily like working with our hands for every single thing that happens and working um, with rough jobs, physical jobs and, and physical interactions with other people. You know, a lot of entertainment has, has become something that's less physical and more internalized. A lot of work has become less physical and more um, internalized. And so I would say as our lives get progressively more internal, we have to have more internal gentleness than maybe we used to have to because I mean, it's always been needed, an internal gentleness, a gentleness with words. We're going to look at some scriptures this morning that talk about the way we're supposed to um, have control over our words and the strong things we can say out of our mouth. But I know today, so much of what we do is just communication with our mouth or with our thumbs or in in the form of messaging or media or things like that. And so, so much of our influence on people, so much of our exertion of of power or truth in people's lives is internal and not like a physical force. It's not me showing up and picking you up and taking you somewhere else. It's me sending a message and saying something to you. You know what I mean? And so with an increase in that, we we have to be aware of gentleness because if we operate in truth without gentleness, if we operate wanting to help somebody, but we don't have gentleness, what we're going to do is hurt people. What we're going to do is, is push people away. What we're going to do is, is, well, damage people. And, and I believe it's so important that we recognize it with our dress code because like we said from the beginning, I'm not just representing me. If, if I'm mean about something, if, if I'm rough with somebody about something, they're not just going to think, oh, that guy is rough. That guy can be mean. That guy's a little harsh. They're going to think Jesus is that way. And we're going to look at an example later on this morning of, of how Jesus was gentle. I promise we'll, we'll do that one. Even if I don't get through everything else, we will do that one. And so I want to give you a definition for Christian meekness this morning. We've talked about meekness, the control of strength. Here's Christian meekness for you. Power originating with God, operating in agreement with His will. Power originating with God, operating in agreement with His will. We said this throughout the message this morning. The power we have stems from humility. Lowering my own and and allowing God to fill that place in me. Allowing Him to become bigger in my life and my own ability, my own dependence to become smaller. And so this is the first part, power originating with God. Hopefully if we've got humility, then, then we're already on board with that. But then the second part is operating in agreement with His will. No, gentleness is, is going to be for good. Gentleness is going to be for a good end. Gentleness is a good thing. If it wasn't a good thing, God wouldn't have us put it on, right? Because God's good, and we're representing Him who is good, so we're going to be clothed with things that are good. Amen. So gentleness is for a good end, all right? God's will is for a good end. And so true gentleness is going to lead towards God's will. You know, the focus of a lot of what we talk about for the rest of the message this morning is going to be about sharing the good news and sharing truth with people in a way that they'll receive it. And so I want to look at God's will for people in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. I love this passage of Scripture because people question the will of God often. And I think this verse speaks well because it's talking about God and it says, who desires, this is referring to God, so God, He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you know this about God? He wants everybody to receive Jesus, to come to a knowledge of the truth, to be saved. That's pretty good. 
That's, that's a good plan. That's a good thing. That's good will, if you ask me. And so knowing this about God, we can see that gentleness ought to lead to this end. Gentleness should lead to His will. If, if Christian meekness, Christian gentleness is going to be power that originates from God, we could say even truth that originates from God, operating in agreement with God's will, well, the, the playing out of that is going to lead to God's will happening. What is God's will? For all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So that tells me that me living a gentle life is going to lead to people becoming saved and coming to a knowledge of the truth. Do you, get, do you see it this morning? And so my gentleness isn't just for me to be nicer or for people to get along well with me or like me. It's, it's to lead people to salvation. It's to lead people to truth. So what does Christian meekness look like today? We said this definition, it's power originating with God, operating in agreement with His will. What does that look like playing out, working out in life? Titus 3 verse 2 is where we're going to go next. Titus 3 verse 2. And this, this gives us kind of a general description of what meekness, gentleness looks like in, in interacting with people today. Titus 3 verse 2, it says, To speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. I love the first part of this. It says, speak evil to no one. Speak evil to no one. And then it goes on and says, to be peaceable, gentle, and showing all humility to all men. What that tells me is that being peaceable and gentle and showing humility to all men, maybe it's not all encapsulating to say that that means don't speak evil of someone, but I can tell you there's a contrast here that to speak evil of someone is the opposite of being peaceful, gentle, and showing humility. Do, do we agree with that this morning? You know, if I'm talking evil about someone or to someone, I'm doing the exact opposite of being gentle because that's not helpful. That's not productive. It's not leading to an end. Maybe I've got the power to say something that's going to hurt somebody. Maybe I've got the power, the knowledge, the truth to say someone that will damage someone. Well, that's not gentleness. That's just mean. And it's power for an evil purpose. It's power for something that's not God's will. And if it's not God's will, I have a sneaking suspicion that, well, it's probably the enemy's will. If I'm saying something that doesn't line up with God's will for someone, then it probably is coming from somewhere else. And I don't think it's heaven. Are you agreeing with that this morning? And so I want to be operating in agreement with God's will, God's plan, using the power, using the strength, using the intellect, using the information, using the truth, using the facts that I've got to benefit people, to help people in a gentle way to get to God's plan for them. You know, I wrote this down, a, a few of the things, because we say this, to speak evil of no one. And, and maybe if I asked, hey, what does it mean to speak evil of someone? I mean, we could probably get some good answers and things that line up. I just did a sum up of, of a few of the, the words that would be like speaking evil of someone. A few of the things that we can do with our mouth that hurt people. I would say that is... is well, that's evil. Breaking someone down, leading to death, stealing, robbing joy, destroying things that are good. That's evil, all right? That's the devil. And so let's look at some of the things that are evil. I'm not going to go deep on these this morning. I'm just kind of going to give you the list so that you can consider speaking evil and how that's the opposite of gentleness. Um, evil speaking, the first thing I wrote down is gossiping, which is talking about something or someone 
without them present, saying things that you would never say with them around. I mean, it's, it's deceptive is what it is. It's kind of underhanded. And there's some other things that could fit into um, this, this gossip category. Another one would be slander talking just horribly about a person, saying mean, evil, unproductive, unbeneficial, death-giving things. You know, we talk about what gives life. Well, there are words that give death. We read it in Proverbs 18 just a little bit ago, or I, I stated it from Proverbs 18 just a little bit ago, that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so there are words, slanderous words, that will bring death into people's life. Another one for you is just lying. Lying is an evil thing. Lying is a wicked thing. Satan's called the father of lies. So I don't, I don't want any part of that. That's a wicked thing. Lying. Sedition, which we could uh, align with divisiveness. Trying to divide people. Trying to separate people. Trying to kind of get into a group or trying to get into a family like we're a family and split it up. That's sedition. It's evil. It's wicked. And it's not gentle. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't heal anything. It's not productive. It doesn't lead to life. It just damages. It just steals, kills, and destroys. So I don't want any part of it. And then here's the last one for you, just rumoring, which kind of fits along with gossip, but just talking about things that I don't really know if it's true or not. What is that doing? It's, it's spreading slander or deception or, or gossip. I mean, there's nothing good about it. Nothing productive, nothing life-giving about it. It's the opposite of being gentle. It's the opposite of being helpful. And I'm not coming down on these because I think we all just need to hear about the verbal sins that we can commit. I'm telling you these things because we have to recognize gentleness isn't just about not hitting someone. It's about not damaging someone on the inside. It's about using words of life, not words of death. This is an element of gentleness as believers. This is supposed to be something we put on every day. And you know, this almost to me, this gentleness thing is almost like another piece of the armor. Maybe it's like our raincoat. You know, when the rain that's, that's this nasty, evil speech starts coming, I've got a raincoat on because I put my gentleness on today. So that's not going to touch me. I'm not going to get involved with it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to spread it. I'm not going to share it. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm going to be gentle today because I am a Christian. I'm representing Christ and I know he would never do this. So I'm not going to do it. Do you see it this morning? Gentleness isn't just in physical things. I wrote this down about the way we interact gently with people in our words. The content and the approach of my speech is seasoned with grace. It's seasoned with grace. It's, it's seasoned with the favor of God, the goodness of God, the gift of God, the love of God, the truth of God. That's seasoned with grace, and I believe that's how our speech ought to be. That's going to be gentle for people. And I'll say this about it too. I don't really expect true gentleness out of the world, but I want to expect it from the body of Christ. I mean, if anybody's going to be able to really be gentle, it's the body of Christ. It's the people who have received gentleness from Christ himself. That's who can be gentle because we've experienced gentleness. You know, I think the world sees to some extent how damaging harshness is on the outside, how it breaks up, how it hurts but I don't think they always see it on the inside. And, and I think maybe there's pushes at times for it, but it's not comprehensive. It's like, here's, we'll take one thing and we'll, we'll talk about how this part's bad and we shouldn't do this. This was God's idea from the start. You know, the, the world tries to mirror and tries to give kind of a, an off version of what we know works out of the word. God's system works. God's guidelines god's rules god's commands if i mean pick god's word works 
And so we know gentleness works. Gentleness is fruitful. Here's a, and I'm going to just give it quick, but, but gentleness is like, it's like rain. You know, it, it's like rain. We've experienced in the last year, like today is kind of a gentle rain. You know that? It's kind of, kind of nice if you like rain. I like rain. It's kind of nice. And I shared at the beginning, you know, rain is really a helpful thing. Last year, we didn't get a lot of rain at the first part of the year. And everybody was like, we need some rain. We need some rain because the crops need water. We need some life in our crops. We need some life in the fields. We need some rain. Well, rain can also be really destructive. A good thing can go bad when it isn't given gently. That wasn't in the notes at all. A good thing can go bad when it's not given gently. A good thing can go bad when it's not given gently. Hard rain takes life. Gentle rain gives life. Gentle rain gives life. Gentle truth gives life. Gentle correction gives life. Tempered power under control gives life. Without control takes life. I want to look at 2 Timothy 2. Talking again about the way we interact gently with people. It says in a servant, 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26 through 26. It says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, must not argue, must not fight with people. And we're not talking physical. We're talking about, well, you shouldn't fight physically with people either, I guess. But, but we're talking about internal. Must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Here's something I see. Really, there's a couple things here. Um, I'm going to talk in a second about how gentleness is the opposite of quarreling. We'll get into that for a minute or two. But I want to say this. Gentleness, we see the result of it in verse 26 says, don't be quarrel, but be gentle to all, be able to teach and patient and humility, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Gentleness is going to set people free. Gentle, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to overstate that and say like, gentleness is the one key that's going to make everything better. It's, it's not, but it's part of the dress code. It's part of our uniform that we show up with. Because if you show up without any power, being gentle isn't going to help anybody. If, if you show up without, you know, the power which is Christ to deliver somebody from their sins, all you're going to do is like pat them on the back and keep them locked in chains. So there has to be power. Without power, it's not gentleness, it's just weakness. It's more fluff. It's nothing helpful. It's nothing beneficial without the power that leads to salvation. But when you have that power and you bring it in a gentle way, not quarreling, not arguing, not trying to be right all the time, but trying to help set people free and giving what's needed in a moment instead of what feels good for me to give because I've got the power and I can push the throttle down and make them feel that I know this or I've got it. When I give what's helpful, people come to know the truth, come to their senses and escape Man, this is what Jesus came for, is to help people escape bondage, to set the captives free, amen? amen? And so as the believers, as the church, that's what we're supposed to do too. We're supposed to bring the truth, the power of God, in a gentle way that they will receive it and come to their senses and escape and get free. Hallelujah. Gentleness is a good thing, isn't it? I want to put it on because I want to be part of God's plan to set people free. I want to be used by God to help set people free. 
But gentleness is, is part of that. Gentleness is a requirement for that. I have to be gentle or I, I won't be effective. I won't be an effective representative if I'm not dressed to the dress code. Do you see it this morning? And it's not a legalistic thing. I'm not telling you, you got to be gentle or God is going to do this bad or you're not going to get this. I'm just telling you, it doesn't work without gentleness. And that's why we need it because I want it to work. I don't want it to be in vain. I don't want me sharing the truth with someone to be without use or without help because I said it in such a way that turns them off to the things of God. I don't want to just, I don't want to weaponize scripture. I'm going to get back to that in a minute, but hey, it's a two-edged sword. It's sharp. It'll cut. And sometimes cutting's good. Sometimes cutting hurts. Sometimes cutting damages. You know, you got to be, what do, we, what do we tell kids that get a knife? If you ever give them a knife, be careful, right? Be careful with that thing because you can really hurt yourself or you can hurt someone else. Don't just go swinging in around without any control, without any use, without any capability. You're going to hurt somebody. I believe the word is good. I believe the word is true. But I believe we can, if we're not careful and we're not gentle, you can weaponize the word and you can hurt people with it. Cherry picking a scripture and just throwing it out there to tell somebody they're wrong and, and you don't have it together and leaving it at that, that's not helpful. Hey, you're a terrible person. Good luck with that. How's that going to help anybody? You know what I'm saying? How is that gent? It's not. And I'm not, I'm not just harping on, you know, woes, but I'm telling you about things that we as believers got to know if we're going to help the world see Jesus. And that's what, I, hey, that's what I'm here to do. If I'm not here to help people and, and show people the light, if I'm not here to bring the light so that people will see and know and confess him as Lord and say, then I want to go to heaven. I, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you for me, like, I'm here to do this, and once it's over, I want to go. Because I don't like this world. I really don't. I love the people in it, but I don't like the world. And I want to go home. But I'm going to stay here as long as there's work to be done. As long as there's a harvest to be brought in. Man, that, that's another great example. The harvest. you got to be careful with the harvest. Have you ever ridden in a... I've ridden in some combines with some farmers when they're harvesting. And you know they're really careful about the way they harvest fields. I mean, if any of our farmers could attest to this. We know that driving crossways into a corn crop just trying to pick some of it up isn't going to be a good thing right you're probably going to lose corn you're going to break stocks i don't know what it'll do to the ground or if it'll cause other problems there's a way to do it right isn't there there's a careful way to do it the right way and i believe as believers as, as we go about receiving the harvest bringing the harvest in to the kingdom of god we ought to be gentle about it we ought to be careful about it because i don't want to lose pieces of the harvest I don't want to be the reason that somebody has to take this huge side journey to get back on track, to hear the word someday. I don't want to be a stumbling block. We just say it that way. I don't want to cause offense to people. Amen? I want to be gentle with folks. Gentleness is the opposite of quarreling. We saw that in, in verse 24. Just a, just a couple words about that, about quarreling, you know. Um, I believe this, when we're gentle, because we're humble, um, we recognize that it's really not about us, it's about God. And when I recognize it's not about me, it makes it easy not to argue with people or quarrel with people anymore. If I don't feel like I have to defend myself, then I'm not going to be as prone to fight. So when it comes to the truth and the word of God, I need to be 
less focused on proving that I'm right and more focused on giving someone the truth. And if I break that down just a little bit more, it's like, it's not giving you know, correction to somebody, because it references this, it says, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. It's not the absence of, of giving the truth or giving a word of correction, but it's doing it in such a way that is for the benefit of the other and not the, the like, pridefulness of myself. That's what leads to arguing. Pride leads to arguing. Pride leads to quarreling. Pride leads to fighting. Because i got to prove that I got something. Hey, you know, my approach, honestly, when, when someone doesn't believe, I mean, I hate that they don't believe because I know where they're going and I don't want them to go there. But I don't take issue with it personally. It's not like, oh, you've rejected, oh, you think you know something better than me. Hey, I'm just telling you what God said. So if you've got a disagreement here, that's between you and him, not you and me. I'm, I'm going to give you the word that I've got. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. I'm going to study to show myself approved so I can take you where the truth is at. I'm going to give you the word. But at the end of the day, your problem isn't with me. It's with him. So if you've got a problem, take it up with him. I don't need you to argue with me. I didn't write the book. Amen? I, if you don't like what it says, I'm, it's not my fault. <laughs> take it up with the author. I'm just telling you the book's changed my life. Amen. And it's given me life. And so I'm just sharing with you what's helped me. And if you don't like that, well, that's, that's between you and him. Do you see how this approach takes arguing out of the equation? I don't have to argue it. I'm going to tell you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the truth. But, hey, it's not my word. So take it up with the author. You know, and, and I think that kind of, I'll tell you, I've, I've said this to people before, and it stops people up. Like when you identify, hey, I'm not the one who thinks that. That's God's word. So it kind of shuts down the, that part of the conversation where somebody's like, oh, you think you know this and, and you think you're better than this and you think this. You th I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think any of that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm telling you what God wrote to us. What God explained is the way of life for us. I'm just telling you that. And so if you don't like that, that's, that's with you and him. I mean, that's like the end of the, that's the, end of the argument right there. Because what do they say back to that? Well, you shouldn't believe that. I mean, that's all they got. That's all you can say back to that. And like, if you, if you want to think that God doesn't know what he's doing, that's your problem. <laughs> and I, I, look, I'm going to try to show you, and I, and I don't want to come off the wrong way and say we shouldn't care. This is all, these conversations only happen because we care. These only happen because I want people to know the truth. But, but the truth about it is like, someone isn't receptive to it it's it's not an issue with me they have an issue with god and that's for them to resolve with him i'm going to give you as much truth as i can i'm going to do it in the most gentle way possible i'm going to do it with the amount of force that i feel like the holy spirit is showing me is appropriate for this situation i'm going to do it with you in mind i'm going to do it in love for you but if you don't receive it i'm not going to be offended and i'm not going to try to force it down your throat because it's not my recipe it's god's recipe amen Less of us, more of him. When we recognize that it's God who has something, which is humility, dependence on him, not of me, it's going gonna, it's gonna to enable us to live gently with people. Just something for us to consider. I referenced Hebrews 4.12 a minute ago about how the, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. We have to, we have to consider the word of God 
It is a good thing. It is a useful thing. It is a, it is a wonderful tool. But it has to be used gently. And so I, here's a question. If you want to take this and use it for yourself, you can do that. How can I say this gently? Something I, I try to ask myself when I know I'm about to have a hard conversation with someone or give somebody a piece of truth that's going to be difficult for them. How can I say this gently? How can I say this in a loving way that points to God and not to me? That if, if they'll receive it, will bring life. I want people to receive the word. You know, I don't want to separate people away. I want people to receive the truth so that they can have life. You know, Paul wrote to the church. It's in 1 Corinthians 4.21. He said, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Do you want me to show up and beat you with the truth? Or do you want me to be loving and gentle? Which one's going to be more beneficial to the church? You know, we don't, we don't get a response back. We don't have the, the letter back from the Corinthians. But I imagine they said, we'll take, we'll take the spirit of gentleness and love instead of the rod, Paul. Don't come and beat us. Please just come and feed us. Please come and help us. Please come and love us as the, as the flock of Christ, as God's people, as God's sheep. And so gentleness is going to be beneficial to people. It's going to help people. One more reference for you. I'll just give it to you. Galatians 6, verse 1 and 2. It talks about a spirit of gentleness and how that's going to help restore someone who's fallen into sin. So that's one more thing you can check out on your own time. Um, I want to have the worship team come up now. We're going to wrap up service. And as we do that, um, I told you we would, I, I promised, I, well, I didn't promise. I just said we would do this, so we're going to do it. Um, John 8, verses 1 through 11, talking about Christ's gentleness. And I want to end with this because um, Christ. He doesn't tell us to do things that we're not able to do. He, and, and I'll tell you this, he doesn't ask us to do things that he himself did not already come and do. And Christ was gentle. Jesus was gentle with people. John 8 verse 1, this is talking about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And in this account, we see Jesus as a gentle Savior as a gentle um, bringer of, of truth, as a gentle wielder of the word. It says in John 8, verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And I want you to see this picture. You know, I've, I've seen this in, in photos. I've seen it dramatized in movies and things like that. This woman was not just out in some field or out in like some random courtyard in the city. She, she was in the, the temple. This is where Jesus was teaching. That means they drugged this woman into church and wanted to kill her there. That makes me want to cry. And there are people today who want to bring sinners into church and stone them to death. At the altar where they're supposed to receive salvation, they want to kill them. That cuts me to the heart. That hurts. How many people have, have been brought into church and felt stoned to death? Because they didn't meet a gentle Savior, they met a, they met a harsh church. We got to put on gentleness because people's lives are at stake. Lives are on the line. This woman's life was literally on the line as she was drugged in by the religious people for, for the people to stone her because she was caught in sin. Sin that they were probably all guilty of it too. You can't tell me that they hadn't looked lustfully upon someone like Jesus taught about. They were sinners too. They brought her in wanting to kill her. 
I said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This, they said, testing him, that he might have something which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who was without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground and those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus is gentle, isn't he? Jesus is merciful. Jesus is kind. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is humble. He humbled himself and became like a man. Jesus put it all on when he came here. He walked the earth with all of this on. And meekness, gentleness was no exception. He was gentle to this woman and she turned and she went and we don't get her whole story, but I believe she left there changed. I believe she left there with a new life. I believe she left there having experienced a Savior who loved her and was gentle with her even though he gave truth. He didn't water it down. He said, go and, he didn't say go and keep doing what you were doing before. He said, go and sin no more. Go and change. Go and live in life. Change the path you're on. Get away from the wide way that leads to destruction and get on the narrow path that leads to life go and sin no more but I'm not condemning you today I'm not stoning you today I'm not here to bring you death today I'm here to give you life today he loved her enough to give her life he was gentle to the woman and he's gentle to us amen church would you stand up with us as we close our service this morning let's just pray and praise him together thankful for what he's done father I thank you for your son Jesus that he came to be a savior he came in mercy he came in gentleness he came in truth that we might change God that, that you didn't want us and he didn't want us to stay the same and live the same but he brought the truth and he brought life and he brought power in a way that didn't turn us away and push us away and hurt us but God he did it in a way that brought life that brought hope we're able to put our faith in you Jesus because you were faithful and you're loving and you're good and so today I pray this that as we study the word as this truth is alive in us as we see gentleness not only on the outside but on the inside and the way we interact with people as necessary I pray that we choose to put it on each day Holy Spirit I ask that you would remind every person who's hearing this message right now whether it's in this moment or in a moment in the future someone listening back or someone hearing it for the first time God I pray that you would remind us be gentle put on gentleness because Jesus was gentle and he lived with gentleness gentleness paired with your power not ours humbly God we know that it's your power that we're dependent on your power your truth your life paired with gentleness with a temperance and a control to give the appropriate thing in the appropriate moment will change people's lives and turn them to the truth turn them to the light turn them to you and to your kingdom and so God I pray that as we live we live gently church if you agree with this this morning I want you to pray this with me father I want to be gentle I choose to put on gentleness like we've studied it today to be a person who speaks gracefully who speaks lovingly who speaks truth not watered down but considering the people I'm speaking to Jesus, 
I thank you that in your gentleness, you've shown me how to be gentle. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to remind me, put on gentleness. I want to live a gentle life. I want to be a gentle Christian, a representative of Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I pray you were blessed today, that you go and be a blessing. Be gentle. Help people. Give them the truth. Bring the light. Amen. Let's worship him as we close.